What do you do with problems in your life? I mean big problems, capital P problems, the not the everyday little uh, challenges that, that come up, not the difficulties that we have to face, but 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 the big problems, the deep problems, the problems that go on and on or that are so complicated you're not sure you'll ever be able to untangle them. Let, let, let me give you an example from my world and maybe you can translate it into your world. In, in church world, we had we had a, a, a problem obviously when when um, the coronavirus came along and we had to close our doors and uh, we we had a challenge which was we needed to figure out okay how do you how do you worship online and so we had some technical obstacles we had to figure out we had to figure out you know do we have the right equipment can we get some some equipment to enable us to do this what are the what are the services we would use to to put these services online our our, our worship gatherings so those were obstacles they could be overcome but the problem was the coronavirus it was the fact that it it took place and kept going on and on. Uh, it's it's the way that that it, two weeks of of slow the spread became uh, a month, and then it it kept going on and on. A month became two months, and three months. It took the whole summer, and then it took the fall. And here we are. It's 2021, and uh, you know, thank God we now have some vaccines, and they'll begin to make an impact in terms of how people can can remain safe. But at the same time. We, we've got a situation in, in the church world of how do we actually start back up what nobody in our lifetimes has ever restarted. It's, it, we've never been in a situation where churches all went away and then, and then started back up again. So we're going to have to figure that out. So, so we have a problem, um, in, in church world that was brought about by coronavirus. It's, it's long and it's complicated and, and, my guess is you can relate to that somehow. Maybe it's coronavirus. Maybe it's something to do with the COVID situation and, and maybe it's, it's, has to do with your finances or your education. Maybe it's, it's not either one of those. Maybe it's something to do with, with the, the way you got through the coronavirus that, that you've, you've dipped further into your savings than you had hoped to or maybe you've ran out of savings. Maybe you lost your job. Uh, maybe, maybe those are the sorts of situations that, that you're dealing with. There's a problem and it's been going on and on. So maybe that's something you're dealing with. But maybe what you're dealing with doesn't have anything at all to do with coronavirus. That, that the problems you're dealing with are long-term and, and maybe, uh, maybe it's a health challenge where it's, it's one of those comorbidities that we hear about in the, in the context of coronavirus, but it's, it's not actually related to that. It's something you've been dealing with ever since the doctor told you about it. And, and it's, it's a problem that maybe will go on the rest of your life, or maybe you're waiting for some kind of a procedure that might provide some help. Maybe that's the kind of problem that you can relate to or, Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a work crisis. It's, it's something to, related to office politics or it's something, you know, related to the nature of the industry itself that it's just going on and on. Maybe it's something to do with your schooling or your, your training for something you're trying to do in the world of work. Maybe it's, it's, uh, related, to, it has something to do with a relationship. Maybe it's the end of a marriage or some other relationship. Or maybe it's some other kind of loss. In my own case, I, in, in the past 30 months, I've, I've suffered from four different people's loss. My, my dad died, my father-in-law died, my brother died, and, and my daughter died. So I've been dealing with a lot of, of the grief that, that uh, doesn't, doesn't immediately go away. So, so I've got a problem there too. So, so maybe you've got a, a problem you can relate to and you're thinking, um, well, what, what do I do about this? What, what do you do about 
about your problems. Now, if you're a if you're a Christian, if you're a church person, maybe part of the answer to that is you take it to God. You know, you do what you can, and it's got up to God to do what only God can do. That's that's good advice, and it's it's certainly uh, uh, what I would advise people in in my capacity as a preacher. I would advise that, but sometimes it leads to a different problem because you do that. You bring your problem to God. You say, God, here's here's this thing that I'm dealing with, and I, I can't I can't make it go away. I can't figure it out. It's too complicated. Um, it's it's been going on too long. It's too intense that the the pain that it's causing me is just too intense. And and you're thinking, well, okay, God, can you do something? But as far as you can tell, God hasn't done anything. That you brought it to God, but God hasn't done anything. And so the suffering goes on, the the pain goes on, the problem continues, and and you're not sure what to do with it. Um, and, and sometimes when people are in that situation, they say, this is why I don't bring problems to God, because, because, because God doesn't care, because God doesn't help me with my problems. In fact, I'm not sure God exists, because when I needed him, when I needed God to do something, nothing happened. And if you've ever felt that way, or you know somebody who felt that way, maybe maybe you know somebody who left the church, who who uh, abandoned their faith because because of that sort of experience. Something happened in their life, and and God wasn't helping in any way that they could they could sell that, that they could see that they were aware of. If you know somebody like that, there is actually a group of people in the New Testament who had exactly the same problem. They were suffering. They had suffered for quite a long time, and. Uh, that they couldn't see any way that God was actually uh, doing anything to help them with them. And and they were the people uh, to whom the letter to the Hebrews was written. And that's literally all we know about them, is that they were suffering and that God had not acted in a way to relieve the suffering. And that's the reason that the, the writer, we don't know who the writer was, but the writer was concerned that they would abandon their faith, that, that they had lost faith or that they were in the process of losing their faith, and he wanted to to encourage them. And so he wrote this letter. Now, we don't know much about that community. We don't know... Um, we don't know really hardly anything about it except what we find in the letter itself that tells us that this was the problem that they were dealing with. So uh, we we don't know who wrote the letter. Uh, it used to be traditionally people said that it was written by the Apostle Paul, but uh, scholars tell us today that that's not likely that they, when they compare this to the other letters that Paul did write, they say this doesn't bear any of the, the marks of, of uh, Paul having written it. So they're, they're increasingly dubious about that. They don't know who the audience was. It says at the top, it says, it says to the Hebrews, as some of the earliest manuscripts say that, but even the earliest manuscripts are from the second century. So uh, was it just something that was tacked on at the front or was it actually part of the letter originally? Nobody knows. Uh, and again, th- there's there's things within the letter that scholars say, well, maybe it was two Hebrews, maybe it wasn't. So so we don't know anything about them except that they were suffering. We know only that, that they were on the verge and, and maybe some of them already had um, abandoned their faith. And that's why the writer this anonymous writer sent them this letter to tell them about their faith and about how they could be encouraged in their situation, even in the face of the problems that they were dealing with. So we're going to look at it and we're going to see what, what uh, we can learn from it because, because we have problems too. And if we don't have problems, well, just, just, you know, file this away because my guess is you will have problems eventually. So um, let's uh, let's go ahead and look now at this uh, letter to the Hebrews. It's uh, near the end of the Bible. So um, 
So we find it in the New Testament, very close to the end. So we're looking at the very beginning of the letter to the Hebrews. So um, it begins this way. It says, um, In the past, God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors in many times and in many ways. In these final days, though, he, has spoke, he spoke to us through a son. Now, that's not where I would have expected the, the writer to go. If, if they're concerned, whoever this writer is, if they are concerned that, that the, the, the audience is on the verge of abandoning their faith, do we really start with the Bible? Let me tell you some interesting facts about the Bible. And that's what he does. He says, God spoke through the prophets. So he's saying, he's saying the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures. He's saying God has, God has spoken in the past through these prophets. And so he's saying the Bible. Now at this point, the Bible was only the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Uh, there was no New Testament. In fact, this letter would eventually be, um, included in the, in the uh, collection of documents that we call the New Testament. But that hadn't happened yet. So he's saying, in, in the olden days, God spoke, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures. And he says, and in these final days, he spoke to us through a son. So, um, we, we, we can imagine that that first audience would say, okay, I, I'm with you. I, I understand what you're saying, but really, how does that, how does that affect me in the face of my circumstances, in the face of the, the, these problems I'm, I'm trying to deal with that you're, you're going to tell me about the Bible? And, and even more than that, when I read the Bible, what I see is I see a God who acts. When I read the Old Testament, I read, I read stories about the way that when, when the people of God were, were slaves in the land of Egypt, God brought them out of, of their slavery. God sent a, a deliverer, Moses, who would lead them, you know, go, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and then he would lead them out of their, their slavery in Egypt. So I read about a God who acts. I, I, all through the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, I see over and over again when the, when the people of God, uh, cry out to God, God raises up a deliverer to save them. So where is that? You know, if you're going to talk about the Bible, that's the place I want to begin because I've got problems. Now, if we're, if we're Christians, if we're church people, we, we would say, well, okay, but that's the son he's talking about. He's going to tell us about the way the son has rescued us. And, and that's true, but, but he doesn't, he doesn't say much about it. So instead, he begins delving into the, the, this theological uh, treasure box that he's going to pull all kinds of um, interesting and and um, deep ideas about the nature of the sun. So um, uh, theologians talk about uh, different subcategories of theology, and this has pretty much got them all. Everything from the the doctrine of revelation to the the doctrine of the end times. It talks about how people are saved. It talks about the nature of of the Son of God, uh, who is Christ. Um, and what is his nature? Uh, how does he relate to the, the three persons of God? You know, how does that all work together? Theologians talk about all these things, and we're going to see a lot of them are covered just in this next little uh, section. So he says, he spoke to us through a son. What about the son? Well, God made his son the heir of everything and created the world through him. So... Again, I'm, I'm not hearing, you know, an answer to my question about the problems, but that is, that is something that's useful to know, I suppose. He, he made his son the heir. Now for us today, we, we would say, well, of course a son is going to be an heir, you know, that, that we would just expect naturally that whoever is the son of someone inherits from them. We might ask separate questions about, is God dying? You know, why does he need to have an heir? But, but the idea here is, what the writer is trying to communicate 
is that the son uh, is has has received this bequest because he shares God's values. He he has the same priorities of God. The same reason we might mention someone in our will that that isn't a relative. We might say, "I want to give money to this cause or to this person because I know that they will do something that." that aligns with my priorities and my values. So he's saying the son is like that. The son has God's values. The son has God's uh, priorities. So, okay, that, that, that is useful to know. And he says he created the world through him. So he's saying that he is already acting in that way. He's, he's not waiting until God dies uh, like that could happen, but, but he's, he's saying that this is already underway, that this, the son is already using the, the, this bequest that the God, that God has given him. Um, in order to do things that uh, the the son was not simply a passive instrument that God used to create the world. The son himself was was uh, uh, part of the work of creation. So he uh, he has this designated authority to do that. So he's saying the son um, is the heir, and uh, that God created the world through him. So okay, that's interesting to know, I suppose. And then he goes on. He says, he says, the sun is the light of God's glory and the imprint of God's being. So what does he mean by that? The light of God's glory. He's saying the, 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 the word here means that when you look at the sun, you can see God, but it, but it means that in a very deep way. The light of God's glory means he's not simply like a mirror that's reflecting God's light, but it means he is himself the light that, that when you look at, when you look at the sun, you actually see, um, from the sun, the sun himself is shining with this uh, godly light, that he is the light of God's glory, and he is the imprint of God's being. In other words, he's not simply a, a two-dimensional image of God. He's not just, a, a, again, a reflection of God or a simple image. He he is a three-dimensional, you know, the, the, um, that he bears the imprint, that, that He's got depth and richness that a, that a simple image doesn't. So he's saying this. This is this is um, uh, uh, not um, presumably. You know, we don't know what God is like in his in his uh, eternal being. But he's saying in in terms of earthly metaphors, in terms of earthly things that we can understand. We understand about light. We understand about making impressions. And so he's saying that the way to the way to understand the sun is that he is he is a deep and rich image of God, that, that when we look at the sun, we don't just see a reflection of God, we actually see God. So he's saying that, that the sun is God. And again, this is, this is interesting information. It may be why the, the, the people who were being addressed had originally put their faith in, in the sun. But he hasn't told us yet why we should, we should be encouraged in the face of our problems. So, so let's continue. He, he does. He says, he, the son, maintains everything with his powerful message. So, that, that the son is actually responsible for maintaining the world. The world exists because the son wills it to continue existing. The, the, the world, the, the universe, the, the, the physical reality that we call the world only exists because the son wills it. It has no, no independent existence that, that if, if, the sun ceases to maintain it, then it will stop existing. But but this word maintain means more than that. It doesn't simply mean that that he's holding it up. It means he's carrying it, and and particularly he's carrying it somewhere. He's carrying it to a to a destination. He's he's carrying it to the end. Uh, we we might say that he is going to carry the universe to 
the finish line. He's going to carry it across the finish line because it can't get there on its own. So, so he maintains everything with his powerful message. And then he says this. He says, after he carried out the cleansing of people from their sins, he sat down at the right side of the highest majesty. He says that, that, um, that what the Son has done is not simply something he will do someday. He is carrying the universe toward this completed uh, place, this place of completion. But he's already done things. What has he done? He has carried out the cleansing of people from their sins. He has acted, just like those people in the Hebrew Scriptures, just like the prophets. He has acted. He has acted to save them. And he's done it in such a way that he's completed that work. He's, he's finished and he sat down. But more than simply uh, being done with the task, it does mean he's done with that task, that the people have been cleansed, that if you bear any kind of sin or guilt, uh, that, that, that he has cleansed you from that. So it means that, that that's, a, that's an accomplished fact. But it means more than that. He sat down at the right, hand, right side of the highest majesty. What does he mean by that? Well, if you think of the idea of a, a, a royalty, uh, the, the king or the queen doesn't usually get their hands busy with the ruling, uh, everyday work of ruling. This is why they, they create uh, cabinets and, and have ministers. Uh, it's why the, the queen in England doesn't do the day-to-day ruling. Uh, she's got a prime minister, a first minister, who does that, that everyday operation of government. So that's the idea. Uh, he's saying that, that the son uh, finished this work of, of um, uh, cleansing people from their sin, but he continues to, to work. He, he uh, works without authority that we heard about. He works without authority that comes from being in this, in this close relationship with the, the, the ruler, the, the, the king. So he sat down at the right side of the highest majesty. So he's told us all kinds of, uh, theological information about the son. He's told us what we, we, we need to know about Jesus. But the, the, the question we began with is how does this relate to my problems? How, how can I, how can I do something with this? What, what am I supposed to do with this? And so in verse four, he continues. He says, and the son became so much greater than the other messengers, such as angels, that he received a more important title than theirs. So remember, he began by talking about the Bible. He began by talking about how God reveals himself, how God speaks to people in in the past through the prophets and now through the Son. And now he's returning back to that idea. And the Son um, was much greater, became so much greater than the other messengers, those those prophets, those angels, that he received a more important title than theirs. And the idea here is not that that, uh, the Son, the eternal Son of the Father, is more important than an angel. We, we would, we would understand that, although perhaps the readers didn't and they needed to be reminded of it. But, but it's not that kind of importance. He's saying what, what he did, the, this act of, of, uh, cleansing the people from their sin, this act of maintaining creation, this act of, of creating in the first place, these things that he has done are greater actions than simply delivering a message. And so the prophets, as important as they are, the angels, as important as they are, they don't compare uh, in the same way that that someone who is your son doesn't compare to somebody who delivers your mail. I mean, it's, it's important, and maybe the mail is very important, but it's a whole different category. And he says, the son became, by doing these things, the son became so much greater than the other messengers, such as angels, 
that he received a more important title than theirs. That there's a that that there's accuracy in the designation of son. It's not simply a a, a comment on a relationship. It's saying that he is the son in the same way these others are simply messengers. So that's what he's saying. He's saying that the son is so much greater than these other messengers. And and he's saying it as the way that God speaks, that by doing these things, he is communicating, he is showing us, he's he's shining with God's light, he is radiating who God is. That that it is in this act of of saving and and carrying creation to the finish line. All these things are a way of communicating who God is and what God does. So, so that is the message, and he's saying that 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 we need to understand that Jesus in that light. We need to understand that Jesus is not simply a messenger. He is not one more prophet in a long line of prophets. He is greater than all the prophets. What he did is greater than all the prophets. So the idea that he wants us to understand or he wants his audience to understand, and so us, what we can learn is that is that Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger by, by his uh, eternal nature as the Son of the Father, but, but he's also bigger because what he did and what he is still doing is bigger than them. Now, that that has not yet answered our pro, our question about about our problems but it points us in the right direction and so so we've only gotten um through the first paragraph of this of this letter so he's he's setting this the stage to talk more about our problems and in fact really the rest of the letter is about that um and and there's all kinds of encouragement i i went through it i counted uh, almost 50 different instructions about what to do uh practical practical advice, practical wisdom about what to do in the face of problems. But he doesn't begin with the practical advice. He begins by reminding us that Jesus is bigger. Jesus is is bigger not only because he is he is in a closer relationship with God, but because of what he has done and what he is still doing. Jesus is bigger. Uh, the the writer wants us to to understand that that whatever question we might ask, is this thing bigger than Jesus? The answer is no. Jesus is always going to, to be bigger than whatever, whatever our question is, whatever our problem is. So, so we're going to see how that plays out as we, as we continue to study this letter. But, uh, so, so actually there's the first application. Come back and see the way that that works. And in fact, don't just come back, but bring a problem, either a problem you're currently dealing with, or a problem that you know of, and that you can use, because because what we're going to do is we're going to evaluate what what the letter to the Hebrews says uh, to that original audience. We're going to relate how that would how that would affect us in our own lives with our own problems. So so bring your problem back, and we'll we'll see where this is going. But first, before we can do that, the writer wants us to have perspective. He wants us to remember that whatever our problem is, however serious it may be. Um, however real it may be, it's not bigger than Jesus. The 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 neighbor, uh, I, I may not. He he may block my view of the mountains. When I, when I look across the street, I can't see the mountains because his house is blocking me. But that house is not bigger than the mountains. It's just that I don't have the proper perspective in order to see how big the mountains really are. So we need to have the proper perspective before we can see uh, the ways that this is going to play out in terms of our problems. So that's the place where we're at now. And 
And so really the second, the second application is very simple. And particularly it's simple for people in Alaska because everything here is so big. We just need to remember that Jesus is bigger. Uh, Alaska, it, it's, it's the supersized state, right? It's, it's almost two and a half times the size of the number two state, Texas. So, so it's easy to remember. You look at a map and, you know, there it is down there by Hawaii. Um, and remember that Alaska's two and a half times the size of Texas. So, so it's a big place. Um, it's, it's big in so many ways. We have the, the, we have the, the highest mountain in the Western Hemisphere is in Alaska. Mount, uh, Denali is, uh, uh, the highest mountain in, in the Western Hemisphere and it's actually the tallest mountain in the world. The, 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 uh, the idea of tall means how far does it go up above, how, how, how high does it stand above its base? And by that, by that measure, Denali is actually taller than Everest. Everest is higher, but Denali is taller. We have the tallest mountain in the world. And, and so many things in Alaska are big that we can look at them. You know, we, we have the biggest bear. We, the polar bear is the biggest bear. And so is the Kodiak bear. Um, I, I actually looked. I didn't know which one is bigger, and it turns out they're both the biggest. So, um, I don't know how they're going to solve that problem, but, but different authorities say that one is bigger. But however you slice it, we've got both. The, the biggest bear is in Alaska. The biggest dog, the, the wolf is, is, uh, the biggest dog. The biggest deer is the moose, uh, and it's actually the second biggest uh, uh, land animal in the Western Hemisphere. So, so uh, we've got everything big in Alaska, and we need to we need to develop a habit when we see something big because there's so much here that's big. When we see something that's big, let's just say, but Jesus is bigger. You know, when we see a moose, when it walks through the backyard or whatever, whatever, whatever we see, when, when we're watching, you know, polar bears in, in, uh, Kaktovik or whatever, whatever we're doing, just to say, you know what? Jesus is bigger. If, if the, the, the clouds give us actually a good view of, of Denali, we can look at it and say, but Jesus is bigger. Because Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger than any problems. And it's not to take anything away from our problems. Our problems can be very big. They can be very pressing. They can be very real. But Jesus is bigger. And if we're in the habit, when we see something big, to say, yes, but I know someone who's bigger. I know someone who's bigger than that. Then when our problems present themselves, when, when we're anxious or when we're worried, when we're, when we're resigned, when we're depressed, we can remember that Jesus is bigger than our problems. Jesus told us that in this world we would have problems. Jesus said that that uh, that the rains will fall and the floods will come. We will have problems in this world. But the writer to the letter to, of this letter to the Hebrews reminds us that however big and however real those problems are, Jesus is bigger. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, uh, we cannot imagine you. You're, you're the what it means to be God is something that is beyond our uh, finite minds, but we can get a glimpse of you because Jesus accurately shows who you are and the way you act. Help us to remember by looking at Him that He is bigger than our problems. He's bigger than all the challenges we face um, in our lives. It's He's bigger than all the problems we face as a church and in thinking about how we can um, come back together and begin meeting more normally. He's bigger than every problem that the world has ever faced. He has overcome the biggest problems 
that the world will ever face. Lord, help us to remember that whatever question we ask, whatever we compare him to, Jesus is bigger. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.